Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom! Given the multiple headline-grabbing funerals of ultra-Orthodox rabbis taking place in Israel this past week, you may have missed the news that Rabbi Dr. Abraham Twersky was laid to rest in the Eretz HaChaim Cemetery just west of Jerusalem. The attendants at Tversky's funeral, who died at the age of 90, and is survived by two brothers, his wife, four children, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren, was, relative to the other lockdown-defying funerals, rather modest. No eulogies were delivered, just a melody sung, a melody that Tversky himself had written decades ago for the final verse of Psalm 28, Hoshiat Amecha. A modest funeral for a modest man, who I believe should be remembered as a towering giant, a figure worthy of our respect and reverence today and evermore. So who was Rabbi Dr. Tversky and why is he so worthy of remembrance? The outline of his life is as follows. Abraham Tversky was born in 1930 in Milwaukee. His parents, both immigrants from Russia, His father, Jacob Tversky, was a congregational rabbi. In fact, his lineage on both his father and mother's side could be traced back to great Hasidic dynasties of 18th century Europe. Married and ordained as a rabbi by 21, Tversky began to work as an assistant rabbi in his father's congregation, his future in the rabbinate all but certain. But it was at this point that Tversky's life took a dramatic turn. He wanted to help people, but he saw that congregants weren't turning to him for pastoral counsel as they did his father. This was the 1950s, and people were turning to psychiatrists and psychologists. Tursky decided to shift gears and enroll in Marquette's medical school, and then off to the University of Pittsburgh for clinical work in psychiatry. Urged on by the chief of psychiatry, at University of Pittsburgh to do a rotation at St. Francis Hospital, Tversky reluctantly agreed to dip his toe into the world of treating individuals coping with substance abuse. That two-month rotation extended into a 20-plus year run as a Haredi Tversky, together with the nuns of St. Francis, built a model of long-term residential treatment centers known today as Gateway Rehab, 22 locations and growing. Tversky not only built an institution, but he defined a field. He published dozens of books, popular and scholarly, lectured widely, and perhaps most famously enjoyed a collaborative friendship with the late cartoonist Charles Schultz. Tversky believed that Peanuts comics were filled with deep truths about the human condition, and that sometimes a short comic strip served as a far more effective means to educate than some long-winded self-help guide. In everything Tversky did, he had courage of conviction. 
He held a mirror to his own people, shedding light on the fact that domestic violence and substance abuse are endemic to Jews no different than any other faith community, a stance that provokes scorn from his own brethren. Of all his accolades this past week, it was the reflections of those who knew him personally that I found to be the most moving. As many of you know, I married into the Pittsburgh psychiatric community. By all accounts, Rabbi Dr. Torsky was a lover of humanity who could transcend communal boundaries, a first-rate psychiatrist bearing a rare blend of medical erudition and Torah learning, blessed with the requisite combination of gentleness and toughness necessary to care for the most difficult patients in most desperate need of treatment. Scholar, physician, institution maker, bridge builder, truth tailor, and mensch. We would do well to appreciate any one of Tversky's profiles. Today, in the wake of his passing and in honor of his life and in honor of the Torah he loved so, I want to draw attention to but one aspect of his legacy by way of a brief story, a rabbinic story that Tversky relates towards the beginning of one of his final books, A Formula for Proper Living. This week, we read about the giving of the Torah by God at Mount Sinai, and the Midrash imagines a heavenly exchange taking place between the scene, behind the scenes. When Moses ascended to heaven to receive the Torah, the angels protested to God, do not give the Torah to mortals, said the angels. They're incapable of observing it. Rather, give the Torah to us, the angels. God turned to Moses and asked, well, Moses, how are you going to respond to their argument? Moses turns to the angels and asks them, the Torah says, you shall not commit adultery. Does that apply to you? To which the angels replied, no, we're angels. We don't commit adultery. Moses continued, the Torah says, you shall not steal. Does that, Moses asked the angels, apply to you? To which the angels replied, no, we're angels. We don't steal. On and on Moses went, showing the angels that the laws of the Torah could not apply to them thus prompting the angels eventually to relent, and thereby Moses succeeding in bringing the Torah down to earth. For Tversky, the point of the story is about the nature of Torah, human nature, and the relationship between the two. Angels being angels do not need the Torah, but we humans, we were created a little lower than angels. We're filled with impulses and urges that need to be managed. Why were we given the Torah? Simple, because we're not angels. Confused? Let me explain. Unlike other faith traditions, as Jews, we do not believe that we were created all good or for that matter, all bad. To be human, according to the Talmud, is to be filled with two competing impulses. In Hebrew, the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov technically the evil and the good inclination, but for all intents and purposes, functionally equivalent to Freud's id and ego. By Tversky's telling, the id or Yetzer Hara operates according to the pleasure principle, while the Yetzer Hatov, ego, according to the reality principle. The former might prompt the desire, for instance, to shoplift. The latter reminds us that if we do so, we will go to jail. 
The Yetzer Hara is not a bad thing, it's actually really, really important. It's what drives us towards achievement, acquisitiveness, sexual activity, and otherwise, all things that make life possible, but all things that can result in sin when not properly channeled through the Yetzer Hatov. Unlike angels who have no desire to steal, or animals who don't worry about going to jail, human beings are composite creatures, animals by nature, but also endowed with the ability to consider the consequence of our actions, to defy bodily drives by making moral and ethical choices. Generally speaking, Jews have no concept of sinning in our hearts, but what we definitely do have is a concept of sinning in our deeds. A theology, as I've shared before, that can be distilled down to my late granny's advice to me on the day of my wedding. Elliot, she said, from here on out, you can get your appetite anywhere you want. Just make sure you always eat at home. To have an appetite for food, for sex, for achievement, for anything, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what makes you human. But to fail to control that appetite, that's where the trouble starts. Which is where... And here we shift from human nature to the nature of Torah, our Torah reading comes into play. When God revealed the Torah at Mount Sinai, God established a covenant with us, and we in return promised to fulfill our side of the covenant by way of the 613 commandments in Hebrew mitzvot. Simply stated, every time we fulfill a commandment, we signal our continued commitment not just to Torah but to God. That said, fulfilling the covenant need not be the only reason to perform a mitzvah. Some people observe Shabbat because they find it to be a much-needed respite from the frenetic pace of their work week. Some people keep kosher because they believe it to be a more humane diet or because it's a positive act of Jewish self-identification that creates a distinctive and proud individual and group identity or because it connects them to prior and future generations. Some people perform acts of stakah, of righteousness, because doing so is a way of cleaving to God and being godlike and walking in God's ways. There are all sorts of reasons why people observe commandments, as many reasons and combination of reasons as there are people who observe commandments. As I've said many times before from this pulpit, more important than why you do a mitzvah is that you do a mitzvah. By citing the Midrash about the angels, Twersky is suggesting yet another reason to observe mitzvot, namely that the mitzvot are not about fulfilling the will of God, but rather, to ref, but rather to refine us as human beings. In the words of the Midrash, lo nitnu ha-mitzvot ela letzaref bahem et habriot. The mitzvot were given only in order to refine humanity. We are creaturely in nature. We possess a yetzer hara, an inclination for self-gratification, which, if unchecked, can lead us astray. God knows our inner struggle and wants us to stay on the straight and narrow, which is why, long before the Fitbit, the Mirror Home Gym, or the Ura Smart Ring, God gave each of us a regimen to keep us spiritually fit, a life of Torah and mitzvot. Your choice not to eat that bowl of lobster bisque is unto itself the fulfillment of a commandment, but it's also an act aimed at developing the all-important muscle group of personal agency. 
If, the thinking goes, I can show restraint in what I eat and how I allocate my time and otherwise, then maybe I can demonstrate that same sense of personal agency in all aspects of my life. If I remember to say hamotzi before I eat bread, then maybe I'll remember to say please and thank you to every person I meet. You get the idea. It's not foolproof, and there are no guarantees. There are plenty of Jews who separate milk and meat and live morally repugnant lives, just as there are plenty of ethically disciplined Jews who love a good Philly cheesesteak. But it is an argument for observing mitzvot that's well-founded in the tradition, namely that the giving of the Torah is not some top-down assertion of God's will on humanity, but rather a manifestation of God's love for us in order to build us up, to help us avoid sin, and enable us to achieve the fullness of our being. It's difficult enough in good times to stay on the straight and narrow, Temptation is always crouching at our door, and the innate human ability to excuse, contextualize, or relativize our failures time and again serves to justify pretty much anything we do. We are all, in Tversky's estimation, akin to Charlie Brown trying to kick that football as Lucy last second pulls it away yet again. We keep telling ourselves that next time will be different, but at a certain point, it's we ourselves, not Lucy, who is to blame. Were that to be all, to name the human proclivity to avoid responsibility for our own role in the missteps of our lives, that alone would be enough. That alone would suffice as a case statement for the importance of Torah, a reminder that it is we and not anyone else who makes choices. But what Tversky understood, perhaps better than anyone else, is that the human toolbox of avoidance can turn toxic. Rather than admit to fault, address our failings, and confront our pain, we seek refuge, we comfort ourselves in excessive food, we hide ourselves away in excessive work, excessive exercise, or we turn to the escape of alcohol. Jews are not ascetics. There's nothing wrong in moderation with working hard, exercise, or finding pleasure in life. The problem is when these behaviors become a form of escapism aimed to fill a void and avoid reality. The problem, as we will learn on March 8th when we welcome Rabbi Iggy of Beit Tshuva to speak to our community on addiction, is when the innocent escape becomes a clinical dependency hurtful both to you and the very loved ones who want to support you. It's hard enough in good times to stay on the straight and narrow, and our times are anything but good. The fear, uncertainty, and isolation wrought by COVID has frayed our personal and communal identities. The incidents of alcoholism, drug abuse, and dependencies of all kinds are on the rise. More than ever, we are in need of the spiritual tools to inoculate ourselves against the ravages of this dark hour. More than ever, we need to bring the subject of substance abuse from out of the shadows. We need to speak openly about the challenges that so many in our community face. And we need to be a spiritual address, providing community support and resources for those seeking it. In the wake of his passing, in the face of our world in pain, and the silent suffering of more than we dare count, I'm hard pressed to think of a more appropriate way to honor the life and legacy of Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, 
Harav Abraham, Yeshua ben Harav Yaakov, Vidvora, to recommit ourselves to a life of mitzvot, to build a community sufficiently capacious in spirit to openly embrace those seeking support, and most of all, to live our lives filled with an abiding awareness of the obligation and opportunity that comes with being human, namely, the act of taking personal agency for the choices of our lives. It's why God trusted us and tasked us with the Torah. We are, after all, no angels. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.